Okay, our Bible readings for today. First one is Ecclesiastes, chapter 2, verses 1 to 11, which can be found on page 539 of the English Bibles. And uh, let's try this again. I know we're not good. In Chinese, Get my practice every time I bubble read. So first reading, Ecclesiastes 2, starting at verse 1. I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is madness, and what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom, I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well, the delights of a man's heart. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for my toil. Yet, when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Now, second reading is Matthew chapter 11, verses 27 to 30, which can be found on page uh, 792 of the English Bibles, and Etienne Wu Bai, Chi Si Liu, yeah, Zai Zhongguo Shenjing Shang. So Matthew 11, starting at verse 27. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Hey, how are we? Good to see you all. Uh, if we haven't met, my name's James Lewis. I'm one of the pastors here and uh, love for you to join with me as I pray and ask for God's uh, blessing over our time in his word. Will you join with me? Father God, we thank you for the day that you've given us. We thank you for being able to open your word and hear you speak. And uh, we all come here with uh, many things on our minds and for some of us, great burdens on our hearts. And so we ask that this time in your word would be a great blessing to us. Give us joy and peace in your word, in your son. We ask in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Well, we're in the second week of our series uh, called Risen. And the reason we're calling it Risen is uh, it's not a series in which we're trying to look at all the proofs for the resurrection of Jesus, which, of which there are many. Uh, and it's not a kind of standard doctrinal series where we look at all the different verses on the resurrection of Jesus. The reason we've called it Risen is that we're trying to explore together what it looks like to live with the risen Jesus today. And so uh, we've chosen, because it's such a big topic to do that, we've chosen three kind of examples that we're going to wrestle with over the next three weeks. Uh, Work, friendship, and sexuality. And today, work. So here's an interesting stat on work. During our lifetime, uh, most of us will spend somewhere between 75,000 to 100,000 hours working. Feel the weight of that. 75,000 to 100,000 hours working. When I told uh, our eldest son that stat, he just put his head in his hands and went, oh, well, you poor boy, you're only in primary school. <laughs> you know, you're a long way to go still. There's a lot of hours there. Um, now, some of the really competitive ones amongst us might say, well, I reckon I could do more hours. Um, if that's the average, I can do more and I can get my kids coached so that they can do more as well. So that, that's the kind of competitive end. But for most of us... Um, we find that exhausting. 75,000 to 100,000 hours of work. Ooh. So what would make the difference to your work? Better pay and conditions? Better training and more stimulating work? A better boss? Better work team that's got less politics and gossip and bitchiness in it? Would those sort of things make a difference to your work? Probably. How about this? You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That's from uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Would that make a difference to your work. Now, it's important that we don't kind of sail past that without realizing how amazing that verse is. Because what it's saying is that because earlier in 1 Peter, Jesus died and he rose and we have a living hope in him and he's the risen king of the universe, um, then we, uh, Jesus has chosen a people, a special people who are treasured by him and, and to be a royal priesthood in the world. Now, that's not about being self-righteous or perfect or uh, being a know-it-all. But it's about being on a wonderful mission with Jesus. We saw, didn't we, uh, to declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Uh, We are to carry his blessing, his grace and truth into the world. Now, I know that might sound a long way, might sound light years away from the routine of changing nappies, if that's the space you're in. You don't feel like a priest when you're changing nappies, do you? You might feel a lot of things, but being a priest is probably not one of them, right? And you don't feel like a priest when you're analyzing data on a spreadsheet. And you don't feel like a priest when you're marking yet another school assignment. And you don't feel like a priest when you're sitting in another tedious planning meeting or you're taxing your kids around the hills to all their things. But listen, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 is not just talking about clergy and pastors. All God's people are priests. And it's not just talking about the time in here on a Sunday as if that was the sacred time, that's the priestly time. No, all our lives, all the time, we are to be priests. 
So whether your work is paid or unpaid, whether you work in the home or in the city, whether you love your work or you can't wait to retire, you are a priest. You are doing God's work in your workplace, in your home, in your networks. Now, Isn't that exciting to start thinking about? You're not just an employee. You're not just a tradie. You're not just a stay-at-home parent. You are a priest. That's exciting to think about, isn't it? And yet, if we're honest, there's still a bit of tiredness there for us, isn't there? Like a, a lack of rest, a, a restlessness. And we saw that played out in our reading from Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Uh, Solomon, king of Israel, the son of David, um, started chapter 2 like this. If you've got your Bibles uh, open, that'd be great to be following along. Uh, he said to my, I said to myself, come now, I'll test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is madness. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. See, he's restless and he's searching, trying to work out what is the point of all this, what's good for us to do in the few years that are given to us. And so, as we read, he throws himself into life. Um, verse 4 onwards, he undertook great projects and built houses and massive gardens, and he had slaves and a harem and wealth. And he says, verse 9, I became greater by far than anyone else in Jerusalem before me. It's quite a list, isn't it? Great projects and achievements, great uh, wealth, great riches, great respect, and he was greater than anyone else in Jerusalem before him. Now, just quietly, perhaps you see a little bit of yourself there in Ecclesiastes 2. You, you're someone who, uh, who likes to try new things, new projects, new challenges. Or, or maybe you're someone who's quite successful in your career. You're respected, you've done well, people look up to you and, 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 and respect you. And there's some real pleasure in that, in that success, that achievement. So, so maybe you see yourself a little bit there in Ecclesiastes 2, or, or at least the kind of person you'd like to be. But there's a big difference between us and Solomon. I, I don't know if you noticed it before. It's there at the end of verse 9. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. He did life with his eyes open. Uh, unlike us, we, we often kind of get caught up in the day-to-day -day routine and we're kind of heads down. But Solomon was able to do it with his eyes open, looking at what was going on, asking himself, what's the point of all this? What's good for us to do? And, and did you notice what he discovered after all this? Verse 11. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Oh dear. That's a bit of a letdown, isn't it? A bit of a, a downer. I mean, all that achievement, and he says it's meaningless. It's like trying to chase the wind. It means nothing. And not only is it disappointing, it kind of doesn't make sense. Like, how can succeeding be meaningless? I mean, think about it. We, we set goals in life and targets, and if we work hard and we achieve them, there's some pleasure in that, isn't there? Some peace, some rest. So how can Solomon say it's all meaningless? Well, of course, we know he's right, don't we? 
It's why we talk about burnout and the midlife crisis. And even with millennials, I, I, I know you've noticed, but it's kind of the done thing to make fun of millennials, uh, particularly like they're really hard to employ because they come out of uni and they want the best job uh, with not much work and, and really good pay. And, and there's plenty of videos on YouTube you can watch of people making fun of millennials and, and, and so on. Um, I think part of what's going on there is that they have watched their parents slog away for years with very little satisfaction. And they say, you know what? I want something different. I want something different. So Solomon's words, verse 11, that it was meaningless, it was a chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun, kind of resonate with us. We might put it differently. We might phrase it differently in our own words, but he's hit a nerve. There's that deeper hunger, a deeper longing, a deeper restlessness in us. It explains why you can change jobs or start a new career, take on a new challenge, a new project, and still be restless. It's why you can stop work at the end of the week or for a long holiday or finally get to retire and still be restless. There's that deeper hunger for purpose and meaning that work can never satisfy, that no amount of success can fulfill that hole in our souls. So I want to share some words with you that promise us peace and rest for our weary souls. Are you ready? Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. From Matthew 11 that we read before, it's so good, isn't it, those words? Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. And burdened, and I will give you rest. Jesus absolutely gets us. He knows that we are weary and burdened. And he says, come to me. Don't go anywhere else. Don't go to anyone else. Come to me. And he doesn't give us rules. He doesn't say just try harder. But come to me. Follow me. Trust me. And I will give you rest. Now, you might feel that Jesus kind of ruined it with the next verse when he said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Like, the whole rest thing we really like, but this yoke and learning stuff, not so much. Like, it was going great, Jesus. Restful sounds really good. Work and learning, no, no, no. We, we don't like that so much. But here's the thing. None of us are really free. We're all yoked to something. We're, we're all like an ox with a heavy plow and we're dragging this burden through life. And perhaps for you, it's the approval of others. You crave encouragement. You're nervous about feedback and you're crushed by criticism. Or maybe for you it's respect and, and you work hard, like really hard. You do your best to achieve because you want people to say, you're a winner. You're an achiever. You're the person who can get the job done and people will respect you. Or maybe it's financial security. If I just work hard enough and long enough, if I save enough, then I'll finally be safe and secure. You know what? They're all terrible burdens to carry in life. They are terrible masters. 
because they're never satisfied. There's never enough encouragement, never enough respect, never enough financial security to fill that hole in our souls, that craving for purpose. And so Jesus says to us, don't carry that burden. Throw it off and come to me and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is what, church? Easy. And my burden is what? Light. How's that possible? Well, Jesus says in verse 27 that all things have been committed to him. He has power over sin and death and shame and guilt, and he has the power to give us peace and forgiveness, and joy, and rest. And so he says, come to me, put your trust in me, and I will give you rest for your souls. So what does that look like? One of the best examples I've seen of this was uh, displayed in the famous movie Chariots of Fire. Um, You're probably familiar with this. It tells the story of two sprinters. Uh, the first uh, sprinter, Harold Abrams, uh, as a man who had not found his rest in Jesus. Um, and he talked about racing like this. He said, I looked down the track, down that corridor, four feet wide, with ten lonely seconds to justify my existence. Do you hear it? I'm fast. That's what I'm good at. And I have ten Lonely seconds to justify my existence. Many of us feel like that, don't we? We, we know that in life we have that four-foot corridor, if you like, that it's something that we're good at, that we need to be good at. And we have that window of time, that 10 seconds, where we have to justify our existence to prove that we matter, that we're not useless. And there's no rest. Second man, Eric Liddell, a man who had found his rest in Jesus, and he said of his running, God has made me for a purpose. He's also made me fast. When I run, I feel his pleasure. Ah, (laughs) there it is, right? God has made me for a purpose. He's also made me fast. When I run, I feel his pleasure. I feel his pleasure. There it is, so simple. No craving for approval, no clamoring for respect, no desperate longing for security, only rest. Because when you come to Jesus, you discover that you're not good, but you are forgiven. You're not a winner and a high achiever and everything, but you are loved. You're not in control, but you do have a purpose. And you have rest. And so then our life, our work, our parenting stops being about trying to fill that gap in our souls, stop trying to justify our existence, stop chasing purpose, and we rest. We do life the way that God intended us to. And so then we can come into a place where we're like Eric Liddell. We can say, in my life, in my work, in my parenting, I feel God's pleasure. I feel God's pleasure. I finished the sermon uh, Thursday, and then driving to soccer yesterday, I had this moment where I thought, you know what, I I reckon it's true for me, it's probably true for you, that up here, cognitively, I know we should be like an Eric Liddell, 
But so often we feel like a Harold Abrams, don't we? We know what we should be doing is finding rest in Jesus, but we battle with this pursuing it elsewhere. And I think we've just got to keep coming back to Jesus and asking him to forgive us, to give us rest. So what would it look like for you to have that rest tomorrow, Monday morning as you start another week? Well, it's bigger than one sermon, of course. And community groups are a great place to be talking and praying and wrestling with that together. But I want to give us two examples uh, this morning to get us going. The first is that when we rediscover, when we find our rest in Jesus, we rediscover the real meaning of work. We rediscover the real meaning of work. Because in the beginning, Genesis 1, God gave all humans a wonderful task to multiply across the face of the earth and to build society, to build community. So that tells us that all kinds of work that builds community is good. And when we add to that that Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself, then all kinds of work that loves your neighbor, that builds a community of love and care, is good work. So it's not just the brain surgeon and the senior executive and the pastor that are doing the really important work. No, all kinds of work is really important. Whether you're paid or unpaid in your work, whether you work in the home or in the city, whether it's public or it's private, whether it's celebrated or overlooked and neglected, it's all good work if it's building community of love and care. So I heard the story of a family on their kind of holiday driving up to Queensland and uh, they stopped at one of those rest spots as people do on the way. It's a long drive. And this rest spot was amazing. Uh, The gardens were beautiful, lots of shade to enjoy and somewhere for the kids to run around and stretch their legs. And the toilets were amazing, clean. Amazing, isn't it? You don't often get that. And so they were just enjoying uh, this space. And, And then they saw one of the people who took care of this rest spot and and they just wanted to let him know that they thought he was doing a great job and it was a real blessing. And he said to them, if we make it nice, more people will stop. There is good work. See, it's not recognized, it's not well paid, it's not celebrated with great status, but if we make it nice, more people will stop. Families will have a more pleasant trip up the coast because they've had a chance to rest and there'll be less tired drivers on the roads and less horrific accidents on our roads. That's good work. (laughs) Taking God's good gifts and using them to build a community of love and care. That's good work. But there's more, isn't there? Because remember 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9 said that we are priests to declare God's praise who've called us out of darkness and into light. And so we are to be priests in our workplaces, our homes, our networks. But it's really important that we don't misunderstand this. Because if we misunderstand this, we can end up being, in in your workplace, in your school network, one of those annoying Christians that kind of sits on the edge of conversations with a sort of superior moral look and and kind of frowning at things. Or or you can be the kind of Christian that just does this kind of drive-by evangelism. Have you heard of this? It's where you don't really know someone. You might work with them, you might have met them through a school or sporting network, but you don't really know them and, and then you kind of do evangelism on the fly. So in the workplace it might be that you go into one of those meetings that's really difficult where someone's project is getting shut down and someone's got to get some negative feedback and it's, it's a difficult meeting, people is of tension, people leave very unhappy and imagine you're the one who's had to deliver the bad news and then on the way back to your office you stop in at someone else's office, you shut their project down, they're unhappy and you come in and you say, oh, That was a tough meeting, wasn't it? 
It's part of the brokenness of this world, and only Jesus can fix that. Would you like to find out more? What? On the fly? <laughs> that, 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 you don't know them. There's no relationship there. That's kind of drive-by evangelism, where we don't know someone, we feel guilty about not evangelizing, and so on the fly we say, Jesus loves you. All right, I gave it a shot there in God's hands now. That's not being a priest. That's not being God's person. So here's what you can do. You can bring grace and truth into your workplace. Because I don't know if you noticed, but every workplace, every kind of group has a culture, a way of doing things, a way of treating people. And you can bring grace and truth into that culture. So if the culture is gossip, you can speak truthfully. If the culture is factions, you can be a peacemaker bringing people together. If the culture is bullying, you can seek out the person being bullied and protect them and befriend them. If the culture is self-promotion, aggressive, pushing yourself forward, then you can be humble. If the culture is jealousy, you can celebrate the success of others. If the culture is that particularly Anglo-Australian thing of complaining about everything, the boss, the conditions, work, the government, God, everything, then you can be full of thankfulness. Now, does that, does that feel too hard? You wonder, would it really make any difference? Let me tell you about a school staff room. Um, Christian teacher in the school was really unhappy with a conversation in the staff room. Often it was very crude and unhelpful, and she just really did not enjoy it. And, but instead of just kind of withdrawing or being quiet, she decided to do something about it, and she decided that on the way to work, she would read the opinion piece in the newspaper and, and then think about how to start a conversation about that and what a Christian viewpoint on that opinion piece was. And so then she'd arrive early into the staff room and she'd be ready as people arrived to start the conversation. And there would be a good discussion that started each morning about this topic and she got to share how Jesus had changed her viewpoint on that. And that went over a period of time and the, the tone in the staff room changed. One lunchtime, middle of winter, freezing cold, uh, she's out doing her playground duty, which no one enjoys when the staff room is warm and cosy. And one of the teachers came out and stood with her. And she said, well, what are you doing here? Like, the staff room's warm. And this teacher said to her, that staff room is not worth being in if you're not there. Wow. That staff room is not worth being in if you're not there. That's bringing grace and truth, having an impact in your workplace. Would you like to have that kind of impact in your workplace, in your school network? Well, you can. The risen Jesus is with you. And he has set you free to bring grace and truth wherever you go. So as we finish, what's one thing you can do tomorrow that will make a small difference? Perhaps it's the way you pray on the way to work as you start your day. Lord, help me to be your person today, bringing blessing where I go. Or maybe it's in the hustle and bustle that you, of work of the day, you take a moment to step back and, and say, Lord, how can I bring grace and truth into the next meeting, into the next email, the next conversation? What's one thing you can do tomorrow that will make a small difference? It'd be great to 
be challenging and encouraging each other in community. It's praying about that. As you go into your network saying, I need prayer for this, and then feeding back into your group so you can keep praying for each other. Because Jesus is risen. He's walking with us each day. Let's share his goodness tomorrow. Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we want to praise you that you have conquered sin and death and you rule the universe. We thank you that means we have a wonderful future and we have you as our king. And we thank you that that sets us free from the burden and the restlessness of work. But we want to confess that too often we're like a Harold Abrams, desperate for significance and meaning, when we should be like an Eric Liddell, resting and feeling your pleasure in our work. So will you help us to rest in you? And will you help us to then overflow in that to bring grace and truth to those around us? We can't do this. Only you can do this in us. We ask it for your mighty name. Amen.